Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Hey Amen. It's good to see everyone. This is a special Sunday, as we've already noted. We've got our third and final mission team uh, collaboration between a partner church in Florida and a partner church in North Carolina, so we are glad to have you all here. Uh, this has been a year of flexibility and adaptability, and so just about two and a half days ago, we completely wiped their schedule from what they were uh, planning to do and had to pivot and make adjustments. You know, all those words that we thought we were getting away from, we still had to do those. And so, uh, thankfully, you guys are here. We look forward to the week. You know, the reality is, and you heard this a lot of the last year and a half, but it's true. God knew that that was going to happen. It didn't surprise God. But I'm trusting that God has plans for us this week, and it's going to be a really, really good week as you have come to serve alongside of us here in the city of Portland. And don't worry, I've made a completely new schedule. It's on a spreadsheet that April has. And thank you, April, for last minute coming to Portland. Some people didn't even know they are going to be coming to Portland this week. And so uh, we're going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a great, great week, and just look forward to how God is going to use it. They got in last night, I think, around 11 o'clock. And so with the time difference, they probably feel awake. But if you see some yawning, it might be my preaching, or it might just be that I had a long day of travel and got in late last night. Okay, this morning, we're going to be in the third scene of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Jonah. We'll be in chapter 3. We'll be there in just a few minutes. I think the words will be behind me on the screen as well. If you do not have a copy of Scripture or we have blue Bibles in the front that you're welcome to grab. This morning, what we're going to see in this third chapter of Jonah is that God is a God of second chances. And then we're going to see him give Jonah a second chance which actually leads to his obedient proclamation of the destruction of Ninevites. So he basically comes in and he's going to give them this warning that God had originally called him to do. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I know some of you haven't, but he basically had told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh, uh, Jonah rebelled and went the opposite direction, and then he was in a ship that was about to go under. He got thrown into the ocean. He was drowning towards ultimate destruction and death, and then God saved him through a fish, or a well swallowing him, and then we'll see him get spit up and hurled back into uh, the land, and then God now gives him another call. And so he's now going to go proclaim this message of mercy to the Ninevites. Now, I'm not sure that any of us like to be the bearers of bad news. I'm not sure that any of us look forward to being the ones who get to go and basically disappoint somebody, or basically let someone know that something's not going to happen. Just three days ago, I had to email all the parents of the kids' camp and say, we are no longer doing kids' camp. And I had to make phone calls, and everyone was disappointed. Thankfully, everyone understood. Those who I left voicemails, hopefully they don't call me back and being upset. But we refunded the money and said, hey, unfortunately, things just happened. We had to cancel. I remember one time as a kid having to bear the bad news. I was probably around 12 years old. My boys love when I tell stories, so boys, you can listen to this part and tell the story. But when I was a kid, and I went to a friend's house. He had an older siblings. So we were about 12 years old, but his siblings were already adults, and they were married. So we're visiting their house, and all these nice plants, and all these nice vases around the house. And they said, look, do not horse around in the house. You know, we're running around. I think they had a hacky sack, because at 12 years old then, we didn't have smartphones like 12 year old today, and we actually had to figure out what to do with ourselves, right? So we're like kicking this thing around and throwing it back and forth, and you probably already see where the story's going. Throwing it around, and before you know it, one of us had knocked over a big plant, and I remember the, the vase itself broke, and then it got potted soil all over the carpet, and the plant itself broke as well. And so there we were, disobeying what we were told to do. What they warned us would happen actually happened, and then we did as any 12-year-old kid would do. We actually lied about it. Don't do that, boys. But we lied about it. Just be transparent and blame it on the cat. 
which they had to know, like, the cat didn't do this, right? The cat lives here, and the cat's here. They were like, the cat was there, and hit the thing, and it knocked it over, but we had to go be the bearer of bad news either way. And just let them know, you know what? What you said was going to happen, it happened. We broke your plant, we broke the eggs, we got potting soil all over the carpet. It's no wonder I was never invited back to that house. Um, and so we had to be the bearer of bad news. But I tell you that because nobody likes to be the bearer of bad news. Perhaps you're a manager, and your boss comes to you and says, you have to fire this person. Right? That's not a really fun job to do, but some of you have had to do that. Or more serious, maybe you're a doctor, and you're the one who has to go tell someone, you know what, you've got a life-threatening cancer, or you only have 30 days to live. Like, right? These are things that I don't think anyone looks forward to doing that. Yes, doctors went to school, and they make lots of money, but that, I don't think they look forward to going and telling someone that, you know what, you're probably not going to live much longer. None of us like this job. But it's the same way with the gospel. I think a lot of us don't like to be the bearers of bad news when it comes to the gospel message. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Matt. I thought the gospel was good news. The gospel is good news. But there is a bad news component which must be shared first in order to get to the good news. We love to talk to people about God and the wonderful relationship he wants to have with them and God's love for them. But before someone has a reason to listen to that, they must understand that there's part of this message that's bad news. It's the part that we don't like talking about. We like to skip that part oftentimes and just talk about the love of God. But there's also this other part that comes before that. And so the bad news being, if you do not turn your life over to God, if you don't give yourself over to God and follow Him and do what God wants you to do with your life, you will be separated from God for all eternity. This is not a popular message. This is not the message of our day. But at Sojourn Church, we like to preach what the Bible actually states, what the Bible actually says. And we thought we would be doing a disservice and a disjustice to our community, injustice to our community, if we did not give the whole truth. Now, we want our focus to be on that good news. We want our focus to be on the love of God. But we also want you to get there first by seeing the reality of what the Bible talks about. And so really, this is the calling that Jonah had been given to go to the Ninevites, to go and to first deliver this bad news. And think about it this way. If we never tell people, our friends, our co-workers, our family members, the bad side of the good news, then most likely they'll never have an opportunity to receive the mercy of God. Well, why not? Because they don't see their need for it, right? If someone doesn't see it. Adults learn on a needs-to-know basis. So if they don't see their need for it, they're never going to accept it. They're never going to see that reality, right? That's why, once again, our city is known to be the opposite, right? We're, we're the most atheistic and least religious city in the country. Well, there's a reason. Most adults here just don't see their need for Jesus. Otherwise... Churches would be packed to the brim. All churches overflowing and looking for more. But most of you just don't see their need for it. And the reason we have to give this bad news first is there's no salvation without hearing the bad news. Right? Think about the salvation that you have in Christ. You had to learn there was something wrong first, right? And that, that there was this thing called sin in your life. And there was only one remedy to the sin. And that remedy is Jesus Christ himself. And so here's the predicament that we have found Jonah in in chapter 3. That Jonah has to be the one to take Nineveh, the bad news, so they can have a chance to hear some really good news. And it's in receiving the bad news that the Ninevites actually experience God's mercy. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but this is what Jonah didn't want to happen. Part of the reason Jonah selfishly didn't want to take the news to the Ninevites is he knew that God might be merciful with them. And Jonah selfishly had experienced God's mercy and grace time and time again, but he didn't want the Ninevites to experience it because of what they were known to be. We looked at that the very first week that these were some very, very kind of evil people. They did some really grotesque and just things that would turn your stomach. Now, some of us might be hesitant to bring up the subject of the gospel because the other side of the good news is the bad news. And we don't want to have to tell people that part of it. Once again, we just kind of like to, to focus on the love side of things. 
but we need to tell people the full gospel, the full story. And in Jonah's case, he doesn't want to preach that, that bad news because he knows that if they hear the bad news, they have a better chance of turning and accepting and receiving the good news. Jonah knows that by, by telling them this, that God will likely extend his mercy to the Ninevites and forgive them of all of their sins. And if the Ninevites welcome God's offer and forgiven, then they will be welcome before God just like his chosen people of Israel. And Jonah doesn't want that to happen. So, so for us, I was trying to think of an example. Like, what would be equivalent for us? Like, what is there? What group of people? And it might be different for some of us. But one thing I came up with is this is like a terrorist group who murdered and abused women and children, receiving God's mercy and ultimately being forgiven. And some of us, if we're honest, would say, I don't think they deserve God's mercy and grace. I don't think they deserve to be forgiven. Think about a serial rapist or think about some of these people who are in prison the rest of their lives. And if you're in certain states, then maybe their ultimate destruction in this life will be death by the state. And we think, you know what? They don't deserve God's mercy and grace. So those people, keep those people in mind when you think about Jonah. I think we're harsh to, to judge Jonah and say, hey, we're going to get the Ninevite. But this is the group that he's going to. It's the group that we would be the least likely to want to take the love of God to. Just kind of half joking and to be funny this week, I was talking with my wife and you know, you see like COVID, we're kind of getting lifted, and then you kind of look and you're like, oh no, LA County's starting to wear masks everywhere they go. Is, is Portland next? I was like, I don't know where COVID actually originated. I said, whoever it was, I said, I kind of feel like Jonah towards the Ninevites right now. I said, I don't want that person to experience the mercy and grace of God. I said, because I think COVID came straight from the pits of hell, and that's where that person deserves to go. Right? And so I can kind of relate with Jonah this morning, and that's just, and that was the true feeling of my heart in that moment. And before you judge me, just like we all judge Jonah, I'm sure that you have that person in your life. I'm sure you have that group of people in your life. You know, we hear a lot about justice, rightfully so. The Bible talks about justice. But we think about, man, what if God's mercy and grace towards those people who are doing the injustice? What does that look like in their lives? And so look now at Jonah chapter 3. We're going to go uh, just a couple verses at a time. Start verse 1 and 2. Jonah 3, verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, the title of this sermon is The God of Second Chances, because we see right here in verse 1 that God gives Jonah a second chance by telling him again, because remember, he told him at the very beginning, to go to Nineveh, and after the, uh, failing to follow through the first time, here God is giving him that same call again. And so the second time, Jonah actually goes to Nineveh. So at least, at least he's kind of learned from his mistakes to a degree. And goes, okay, first time I didn't obey, it didn't work out so well. Uh, let me go ahead this time and let me go through and I'll go to Nineveh in obedience rather than attempting to go to Tarshish. And so he recognizes at this point that God is dead serious about taking his mercy and his grace to the Ninevites. Once again, it's not about Jonah. This book is it's not about Jonah. It's about God's mercy and God's grace. And when he realizes that God is serious and God is going to see his plans accomplished, whether, whether I obey or don't disobey. Because once again, he disobeyed. He was fleeing the presence of God, and God still continues to say, no, I want you to go to Nineveh. And it would have been a lot easier. If you ever think about it in your life, you probably could look back if you've been following the Lord for a number of years ago. It would have been a lot easier if I just embraced and did what God called me to do instead of running away from it. But instead, I ran away from it, I disobeyed, I rebelled, and I went through all this heartache that probably could have been saved if I would have just embraced the call of God all my life. And just like Jonah, you and I are charged with going into the entire world, this thing that we call the Great Commission, which has greatly impacted Sojourn Church. The Great Commission that we proclaim the good news about the death of Jesus for people's sin, for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world, and about his resurrection from the dead to life. And the Great Commission says to go and to make disciples. 
And that's what we're all about here at Sojourn. That we go and make disciples so that we look more and more like Jesus every day, every week, every month, every year. And then we invite people on that journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're not trying to, to make everyone look exactly the same. We're all in this different place. But we're saying it's okay that you're somewhere else in this journey. But part of making disciples is that we look more and more like Jesus. I don't want you to look more and more like me. I don't want you to look more like Ben. I don't want you to look more like, well, yeah, only Andre can look like Andre. Um, but I want us to look more like Jesus. And that they, the, the city around us would know us for our love of God and our love for one another. And Jesus died for our sins. He took on the penalty of God's wrath onto himself. No one has to die on his own sins because God sent his son. That's a, that's a death that we deserved. But God sent Jesus to take that death, to do that in our place. And leading with the limp, author Dan Allender states it like this. He said, we hear the call to go and we run in the opposite direction. God has a way of having us thrown off the boat swallowed by a large fish, and spit onto the shore where we are to serve. I love that imagery and that picture. And I think, what does that look like for us? You know, once again, that uh, lobster uh, fisherman that got swallowed by a whale the other day, I'm like, maybe, maybe God called him to go do something. You know, I'm like, all right, God, what are you asking me to do? And then he continues, says, God allows us to run, and yet to know that he will arrive at our place of flight before we arrive. So he can direct our steps again. You know, so sometimes God will let you run. Sometimes God will let you go and do your own thing, but God's going to still accomplish his plans. And we see the good news in the gospel here is that God doesn't hold grudges against us. God doesn't hold this grudge against Jonah, right? God can allow him just to drown and to die in that moment. He can allow him to be not only swallowed by the fish, he can allow the, the fish to have a snack and to chew him up and to swallow him and, you know, how the rest of that process goes. But God doesn't hold grudges against our sin. That's what we do. That's what we do with our friends. That's what we do with our family. That's, that's sometimes what we do with our faith community, right? Because we get upset by something. Look, whenever somebody comes to Sojourn for the first time and it looks like they hang around, I always say, look, I am going to disappoint you. I promise you that, right? Everything's kind of, we get that honeymoon phase. Like someone will come check out the church. like, things are great. And this is, you know, I'm like, I promise you I'm going to disappoint you. I promise you the church is going to disappoint you at some point. And so what we do as humans, we do as our family, we do as our friends, is we hold grudges. We hold, we hold their sin against them. We hold their wrong against them, right? I'm never going to talk to that person again. I can't believe they, they did this. Those are those with friendships that have lasted for years. You know, I've had that happen in my own life. Where I've had 15-year friendships, just overnight seems like they are gone. And so we hold these things against them. What? Who doesn't do that? God. The God of mercy, the God of grace, doesn't hold grudges against us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so that's what God is doing. God is reconciling all things back to himself. And here's the really exciting thing. Is God is inviting you into me to be part of that process, that we get to see all things in this world reconciled back to how they were meant to be back in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news that God doesn't count our sins against us. This should cause us to celebrate. Once again, this is a reminder for us, if we're in Christ, that he doesn't hold these things against us. You know, I think right now we hear a lot about cancel culture, right? You know, an artist or a musician or a comedian. I was actually listening to a podcast this week, and it was, um, I think it was Chris Rock. And he said, you know, there's jokes that I can't tell today that I could tell five years ago because now I'll get canceled for doing it. Now, some of that's right and some of that's wrong, and we don't have time to talk about that. But we're in this culture, we live in this day and age where there's this cancel culture. 
Someone says one wrong thing and they're canceled. We're not going to listen to music anymore. We're not going to, there can't be, you know, movies anymore, whatever it is. And, you know, once again, I think there's a, we need to call out injustices and we need to call out different abuses and those things. So I'm not saying that, don't mishear me. But when I think about council culture, in the gospel, there is no council culture. God doesn't cancel us. Instead, there's a mercy and a grace culture that God freely extends to us time and time again. Because reality is all of us should be canceled. Even if you're already a Christian. I say this a lot, but you'll leave this stamp building, you'll go down the steps, and you'll leave, and, and you're going to do something this afternoon. I promise you, you will. It might be a conversation with somebody else, it might be your spouse, it might be your friend. You're going to have a thought. You're going to do something that you should be canceled for, but there's not a cancel culture in the gospel. There's a mercy and a grace culture. And nothing in this world other than the gospel can promise you such a total acceptance and favor. Nothing at all other than Jesus and his message. I've heard it said this way. I don't know who said this first, so I'm not giving credit to anyone. Uh, don't quote me because I didn't say it first. But there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And so this morning, if you think, man, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to put on my best clothes this morning. Or I'm going I'm to do this. There's nothing you can do that can make God love you more. And there's nothing you have done to make God love you less. And so whatever you came in with this morning, if you came in with baggage, if you came in with sin, if you, if you came in just feeling bad about what you did last night, or maybe this morning, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you have done that can make God love you less. This is the gospel. This is the message that we embrace. Now, some of you need to hear this. I know I did recently um, from a pastor doing soul care with me. Sorry, I don't usually get emotional, but I was actually sitting here this morning uh, just getting a little teary-eyed during worship, and when I was telling this pastor, he said, God is more interested in the worker than he is the worker that the worker does. He's more interested in you than what you can accomplish. The reason I'm getting teary-eyed is, as a church planner, if you know me long enough, there's a, there's a you know, you feel this internal pressure and you work hard and there's just different things. And it's, honestly, it's not very rewarding most days. <laughs> and so, I, and then Sundays in particular, I get caught up in the details. Like, I need coffee and the sound system's not working. I just get all these things that honestly don't really matter in the big picture and scheme of things, but it's just who I am. It's my personality, right? And so I'm just sitting there just thinking and, and, and feeling this way, and I knew that this was part of the sermon this morning. And God's like, Matt, this is for you more than it is anybody else in the room. You need to hear this message. And so God comes after Jonah, not because he needs Jonah, but because Jonah needs God. That's why God comes after Jonah. So some of our mentality needs to shift this morning. From what am I doing for God, right? Kind of, oh, what am I doing for God? To what is God doing in me? What is God doing in my heart? What is God doing in my life? How is God shaping me? Because it's not about how much you do, but who you are becoming in Christ. And so my hope is that we all hear this message and grasp it this morning. And so here I will say it this way. Mission team, it's not about how much you do this week, but it's about who you are becoming this week. Interns, it wasn't about how much you did this summer, but it's about who you are becoming in Christ this summer. And sojourn, it's not about how much we do as a church, but it's who we are becoming as a church in Christ. And so God is doing a work in Jonah. And like us, by God's grace, he's giving him a second chance, even after he messed up the first time. That's good news. That God didn't just wipe him out. God said, you know what? I'm going to give you another chance. And if you're in this room this morning, regardless if you're 8 years old or 10 years old or 35 years old or 47 years old, here's the reality. That means for that many years you've had a second chance and a third chance, and like God's continuing to give you more chances. And so let's see how Jonah responds. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. 
So we see Jonah now compiles, um, complies with God's will by going to Nineveh instead of fleeing to Tarshish. And Nineveh here again is, is referred to as great city. So we hear, we hear it referred to as a great city and, and a wicked city, but it's a very strategic city of, of Nineveh. And because it's important, they're going to be recipients of God's compassion and God's grace. It was a very large and prosperous city. And the three days referred to here, it's most likely it would have taken Jonah three days to walk throughout the city proclaiming this message that God had given him to proclaim. Maybe as a test, one day, we'll, well, one weekend, we'll walk through Portland and see how long it would take us just to open air preach and proclaim this message of God. Say, okay, was it three days? How long would it take us to get through this? And Jonah verse 4 says, Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah goes into the city. He starts preaching this message that God had called him to preach originally, that the entire city would be overthrown. Now, if you're a strategic city, if you're a powerhouse of a city, you know, I mean, Portland does have that for the Pacific Northwest, but let's think like L.A. on the West Coast and maybe New York uh, City on the East Coast, right? If you're this powerhouse of a city and someone comes in proclaiming this message that you're going to be overthrown in 40 days if you don't turn and repent, right? I'm thinking people are laughing here. People are like, yeah, right, like we are the powerhouse city. And all the threat sounds, um, the threat sounds unconditional. There's actually a condition that's applied here. It says, if people repent, God will relent. So he's saying, God's going to come in, he's going to destroy your city unless you repent. But if you repent, God actually will not destroy your city. And Jonah knows this condition, which is why he originally disobeyed. He doesn't think they deserve it. He doesn't want them to actually have this hope of God's mercy and grace. Jonah wants them to be destroyed. So he doesn't want to defend the message to them. He's just hoping that God will go through with the plan. And he knows the weight. When we see numbers in the Bible, sometimes, you know, it's like, what's the significance of that number? It says for 40 days. It carries that for 40 days the torrents of judgment fell in Jonah's day to wipe out the wickedness of human life from the face of the earth. 40 days shows that God means business, whether people realize it or not. So it's kind of saying, look, God is serious here. All right? You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to laugh. You can choose to ridicule it. You can choose what to do, but God means business. And that's what this 40 days means. And they would have known that. But this verse also shows us something else. This verse shows us that God uses flawed messengers like Jonah, who has experienced his grace, and God never wastes anything, which means that God can use you too. It doesn't matter this morning, once again, what, what kind of uh, posture you came in, what kind of status you came in, what kind of baggage you came in. God can use you. God can use your failures. God can use your trauma. God can use your guilt and your shame. God can use the most de desperate moments of your life to advance his good news. Because we see here in the life of Jonah that God uses flawed messengers. And all of us are flawed in some shape, form, or fashion. But God chooses in his grace to use us. Now let's see how they respond. Let's see how they might respond and laugh and ridicule. But let's see how they respond in verse 5. It says, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now it's important to note here. It wasn't Jonah who they believed. It was God who they believed. Now, Jonah was his mouthpiece. Jonah preached this message to the Ninevites. And then the men, men of Nineveh believed God. We see believed is the word, in the, uh, the first word in the Hebrew text of the sentence, and the grammar underscores the immediacy. 
So we see that he proclaimed this word. He didn't have to reason with them. He didn't have to draw up. Um, you know, sometimes I'm not picking on these, but I kind of am picking on these. You know, we like to come up with these evangelism strategies. And we're like, here, let me draw these three circles for you, or let me draw this line and this triangle thing. And some of those can be useful, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to reason with them. He doesn't try to argue with them. He says, look, here's the reality. Take it or leave it. And we see they actually listen and they repent. This is amazing if you remember back to the first week and what these people are known for. If I were Jonah, I'd be shocked at the response. And Jonah's kind of upset at the response because he doesn't want them to repent. But I'd also be like, oh my goodness, this actually worked. Right? Like if I went out to Pioneer Square this evening, there's a bunch of people, and I just said, you guys need to repent in 40 days. You're going to be overthrown. And also all these people got their knees and repented. I'd be like, what in the world just happened? This is, this is a crazy dream. But this actually gives me hope for Portland. And once again, Portland is... Portland sounds like a cakewalk compared to Nineveh, after I got to study Nineveh a little bit more. But this gives me hope for a city that's not known for Jesus. This gives me hope for a city that's known for a lot of other things. That proclaiming the message of the gospel, that the gospel still works. I guess I could say it that way. That the gospel still works. That this message that God has given us. And here's the thing. God has given us a, me- uh, given us a role in that, just like he did Jonah. Our role is to go and proclaim this message. Our, our role is to go and tell the city of Portland the bad news so they can hear the good news. Because we want them to hear the good news. And Jonah's sermon is only five words in the Hebrew text. Now I know you're thinking, like, how many words is your manuscript? I have to go check Google Docs and it'll tell you. I promise you it's more than five words. And the five words are salvation through judgment and mercy. That's it. Salvation through judgment and mercy. And so you think, how did Jonah get such a response? How did he get such a response? He doesn't throw in jokes, he doesn't throw in funny stories. He doesn't throw in a hook at the beginning to draw people in. He doesn't do any of that. He just preaches straightforward this message. So how does he get such a response to the entire city? Believes in God, they repent, they put on sackcloth in mourning. So this is the result of the response because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is why this is the response that he gets. Romans 1.16 reminds us, To I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He gets these results because the Father gives those people in salvation to His Son. That the Father God draws the people. That God the Father does the work because the power has the power because it comes from God. See, you and I don't have the power. We have a role that we've been given. We have a message that we've been given. We are to go and to make disciples, as this tells us. But the power of salvation is to rest in God alone. That we're to open our mouths, we're to do our part, but and trust that God will draw people to himself. And as Jonah said in his prayer last week, if you're with us, he said, salvation is from the Lord. And that's a good reminder for us. Salvation is from the Lord. This is a good reminder that repentance is always a work of God. It's always a work of God. And so if you want to see God move in someone's life, if there's someone that you're praying for this morning, if there's a friend or a family member, you say, man, I want to see God work in their life. I want to see them embrace the good news of Jesus. You know what you need to do? You need to pray. Pray that God would work. Because once again, you can't do enough convincing. You can't, you can't live a good enough life. You can't draw up enough circles and diagrams to try to show them. You can't give them enough Tim Keller books that I love to do. But God himself can move and act in their lives. And so you think about your own life, your own salvation. Even if you got saved at a very young age, you don't hardly remember. It's an act of God. It's a miraculous act of God that he drew you to himself and that you embraced his Grace and salvation. Tulian Chavijan, I think I said that right, he said repentance like this is the solution for every social and relational disease in our world today. Wherever there's a social relational problem, it's because repentance is missing. 
Now, Bible teachers obviously distinguish between two kinds of repentance. There's attrition. It's not a heartfelt sorrowful uh, sorrow for wrongdoing, but selfishly motivated. You see there's potential punishment, and you go, okay, I'm sorry, right? This is like when, when our kids, we say, hey, you're not going to get to go on the field trip this weekend. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, right? This is kind of what attrition is. This could be Jonah's response in order, in order to avoid further discipline. And then there's contrition, true repentance. And this entails being sorry for offending God and others. And it's an external change motivated by an internal change. And this is the type of repentance that I believe we see happen here with the Ninevites. And then in verse 6, it continues on. So we see the people repent. And it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And so the word of the Lord has reached this influential king, this influential statesman, who is a part of the empire of ruling the world. And he learned, too, that he must humble himself before God. I promise you, no one outside of Nineveh ever pictured an Assyrian ruler doing such a thing. Once again, they were the complete opposite. They weren't known for this. And so this was not what was expected. But once again, the gospel message was proclaimed, and God moved and worked so that the Assyrian king himself recognized the need for repentance. And so the king, verse 7 and 8, says he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Sounds like COVID. <laughs> let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So when they see this king, he issues this proclamation, and then the people carry it out. The Ninevites here have turned from their evil ways that they were known for, whereas we even see in other parts that Israelites do not do this. And so how do we see such influential people reach today? How do we see those uh, you know, influencers, I don't mean on Instagram, although maybe on Instagram as well, but think about you know, rulers in the world, presidents, you know, people that have a lot of influence. How do we see them reach today? We have to keep praying and proclaiming. It starts with the power of God to change people's hearts. And it comes to them recognizing that there's this righteous anger of God through believing the message of the gospel. And so if we want to see our city, if we want to see our state, if we want to see our nation reach and we want to see them change some of their views on social issues, whether it's gun laws or abortion or the treatment of houseless people. Do you know, do you know where it starts, when the change actually starts? The change actually starts in the power of the gospel, of God changing people's hearts through believing the message of the gospel. That's where it actually starts. We went on a prayer walk recently, some of the interns in here, in my family, um, with other Christians in our city. It was led by a guy named J.T. Thomas. Now, he did a really good job of, of, of kind of getting the whole crowd involved. I'm not going to attempt to pull that off this morning. But what he said there, and this is actually in Pioneer Square, of all places, he said, Black Lives Matter needs the gospel. He said, police and the police system in our city, they need the gospel. The city of Portland needs the gospel. You and I need what? The gospel. The gospel. Okay, I'll try to do it one time. Because, you know. <laughs> but that's the reality. That we all need the gospel. And so change does not start by lobbying. Change does not start by protest. All those are secondary. And those aren't necessarily a bad thing, but I think a lot of times the church is guilty of, of starting there because we want to mimic those outside the church. Man, we're, let's, let's do this. But what if we rally together and we actually believe that God of the Bible, the Creator God, changes things and His power actually works? Now, once again, we should be people who stand up for the injustices. We should want to see some of these things change but what if it started by getting on our knees and our face and seeking the Lord together? For that matter, actually, on August 21st, I don't even know if I'll be in town, but there's a, a big worship thing on the riverfront. And actually, the same guy, J.T. Thomas, is going to come in and deliver a word. So they're trying to get as many Christians from all over the city.
to get together and essentially say, we declare the city for, for Jesus, and then we want to come together and ask that God would move down and work. But true change starts with the power of God. Because it's God who changes hearts. It's God who allows people to believe. It's God who allows people to embrace, embrace his message and to live his message out. Because a holistic gospel will include preaching the word and, and, and gospel proclamation, word and deed. In other words, we're going to preach the gospel message. We're going to deliver that, but we're also going to get our hands dirty. We're going to work as well. We're going to stand up for when we see injustice happening. We're going to help to see change come in our city. We're going to join neighborhood boards. We might join city council and do these things, but we're going to start with relying on God to change hearts. And so if there's things you don't like in our city, or those of you who are visiting, you know, you see us on the news a lot, and then you think, man, what's wrong with that city? Pray for our city. Pray that God would change it. Instead of us just complaining about it all the time, just pray. Pray, God, I need you to move. I need you to work. God, I pray that you raise up more laborers. We have a plentiful harvest in this city. I believe that we do, but the laborers are few. Maybe some of you are going to come join us long term, okay? This is when you get nervous, like Jonah, you might want to flee the room right now. But pray for our city that God would change it so that it wouldn't be known for the things that it's known for. I get asked questions all the time. I get texts all the time about our city, and I love our city. I really do. I love our city. I want to see our city flourish. And there's things that I don't like about our city, things that you probably don't like about our city. And there's things that are hard to know what to do and pray that God would move and change the hearts of the people in our city. And that we could be part of that change. Now, verse 9 starts out, says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You know, it's kind of like as you're talking to someone, like, well, who knows? This, this could be the outcome. It expresses hope that God may turn and that God may relent from what he said he was going to do. And this was Jonah's fear all along. If I, if I proclaim God's message of grace and mercy to them, then they won't perish. But they'll actually have potential saving life just like I have. And then finally in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So we see that God did not carry out this threatened disaster that he had given. Why? Because the Ninevites had repented of their evil. That God gave them the same chance that he gives to you and to me and to our city. And as a result, they repented and God relented. And so from a temporal perspective, God responds to human action. From an eternal perspective, God chooses the means, human repenting, as well as the end, divine relenting. We see the Ninevites didn't simply turn away from their disobedience, but they actually turned towards obedience and they sought restitution with God and with one another. Now, in the Old Testament, which is where Jonah is found, we find this word for peace is, is shalom. It's more than what we think of a, a peace in English. Like we tend to think of like a peace of mind and kind of a peace of heart. But shalom really it kind of takes on the connotation. It means universal flourishing and wholeness. I just like the way that sounds, right? That there's universal flourishing and wholeness. It means that things are complete and settled. That sounds pretty good. It, it means that things are as God has intended them to be, not how we have made them to be. And as we study the Gospels, we learn this. We learn that Jesus is the administrator of this peace. That Jesus is the one who sets things straight. That Jesus is the one who brings restoration to our lives and to this world. And that Jesus is the one who took on the human frailties in order to repair shalom. So that Jesus is ushering this shalom back in. He's bringing it back to us. We see Jesus told the story of the prodigal, one of my favorite stories. And just like the father in that story, if you're familiar with it, God has been a father to Nineveh because God isn't finished with Nineveh. God still had a plan for Nineveh once everyone else had written them off. Because my guess is not only Jonah. My guess is other people in Jonah's situation have also just written off the city of Nineveh. I know a lot of people have written off the city of Portland and said, don't write us off yet. I think God has a plan for us. 
I don't think God would be calling people like myself here if God didn't have a plan for us. I don't think God would have you here if he didn't have a plan for us. So God isn't finished with Jonah, and God isn't finished with you. God's working on your heart. God's working in your life. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. And God offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross as our substitute, and he raised again to new life to justify us before God. And many others, too, will have second chances to repent and believe the gospel. And that's exciting, right? We, we, we want that for people. And if we preach this message to them, just like it was preached to us, just like Jonah finally obeyed God and the second chance it took this word to them. And so we must believe that God has people here in our city. But I want to tell you something. God's called you and I to go and proclaim this message to them. We can't do this by just assuming they're going to come on Sunday morning because clearly they do not. He's not going to do this by just keeping our mouths shut and just just going and living a good life and having a nice house and, you know, driving slow and passive like they do here in Portland. God's not going to do it that way. God's called us to proclaim this message. He's also called us to live it out. So live it out too. Like, back up your words with your life. Okay? So if you're going to play the message, like, please do that. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to tell your waiter, I'm a Christian, I would like to pray for you, at least leave a really good tip. I don't even care if the food's bad or if the service is bad. If you're going to do that, live it up, back it up that way. And so here's how we're going to respond this morning. We've got three, three ways to respond. First way is repent. Some of you need to repent for the very first time and to embrace this message of Jesus' mercy and grace in your life. And so if that's you, I invite you to do that this morning. Some of you need to repent for the hundredth time or the thousandth time or the millionth time. And so if that's you, I also invite you to do that. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm in that camp. Even last night, as I was looking at my manuscript, even this morning, I thought, man, oh, there's something I need to repent of. And I need to do it this morning. I mean, for me, I was like, I need to do it this morning before I go to preach. I feel weird about not doing that. But I need to do it this morning. I need to get right with God. And so that might likely is many of you. The second way we respond is risk. Some of you have been changed by God. Some of you embraced this message that the Ninevites embraced. And Jonah eventually took a risk, and he went to the Ninevites, even though he didn't want to do it. And he did it without knowing how the story would end. I think that was his fear of why he didn't go initially. And here's the reality. Mission, the going, does not guarantee that we will not struggle. That's why I don't give this message that, oh, your best life now, and things will be hunky-dory, and everything's going to work out. That's not the reality. We know that. You know, most of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are persecuted for their faith. Okay? And we were told in the New Testament that persecution will come. But some of you need to take risks. Some of you, some of you God's been calling you to do something, you've been running from that call. It doesn't mean it's as big as going to Nineveh, but there might be something that God's calling you that next step of faith he's been calling you to do, and you've not been doing it. So for some of us, we need to respond by taking a risk. And the final response is some of us need to remain. Some of you are being called to remain right here beyond the mission in the city of Portland. With sojourners, we see the vision that God has given to our church fulfilled. And you need to take the next step of just committing further to this faith family. And say, God, I want to be all in. I want you to use us the way you will see fit to use us. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to be in the back if someone would like prayer, if someone has questions or has you know, uh, just something they need to talk about. And Ben and Elaine are going to come back up and lead us out in the final song as we look to Jesus and his mercy and grace in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we want to come to you and just thank you for your mercy and grace. God, we thank you that you're a God of second chances. God, that just, in the, just because of our sin and our ongoing sin, God, you still offer us forgiveness, that you still offer us your mercy and your grace. God, I pray as we respond this morning, God, that we would do whatever it is you, that we need to do, whatever you're calling us to do. God, for some of us, that's repenting for the very first time. For some of us, that's repenting for the hundredth time. 
Now some of us need to take a risk in our lives and follow you to the, the ends of the earth, whatever it is you're calling us to go. And God, for others, you're calling us to remain, but to go deep with your mission here in the city of Portland alongside Sojourn Church. God, however we need to respond, we give this time over to you. It's in your name, by your power, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.